Ready? Welcome to the Jesus Said Love podcast. Season four, and we have some big announcements. The podcast started as an extension of our work and ministry with survivors of sexual exploitation and trafficking. However, these conversations exposed a broader cultural issue impacting Christ followers. So starting in season four, this podcast will attempt to explore the big question, how do we live and love like Jesus today? We are moving the podcast under the religion and spirituality category to explore the wide context of Christ following. So please share the show with others. In this podcast, we will give space for conversation, compassion, and courage as we seek to love God and love our neighbor. Lastly, we're looking to grow our support as there has been no budget for this podcast. So if you listen to the show, would you consider supporting us even at $5 a month by going to JesusSaidLovePodcast.com? Supporters will get bonus content and savings on resources like books, products, and conferences, and raw live video footage of the recording. So how do we live and love like Jesus? Let's find out. Sup, Leia? Oh, that's my intro. Hey. What's you doing? Okay. All right. What's you what's you doing on the other end of this mic? Well, I'm excited to be here. What tell what is the I am hosting a podcast. What is the that's most exciting thing you've done today so far prior to this podcast recording? Well, a hundred percent yoga. So that was my exciting morning. It was so good. It was what great. Made it so, what made it so good? And it was a hot words. stretch and release. That's How about three, three? Words. Hot stretch and release. Those are the three I'm giving you. Love it or like it. You can take one out and leave the two that you want. A hot but release. Those are my three words. Yeah. Okay. It's well, great. Good for you. Well, I'm glad to see you. No, I'm glad to see you too here. And I'm really excited about this here episode today. Yeah. You seem kind of amped right now. Oh, you don't even know. Yeah, I, I, can, I can just feel it. A lot of energy coming, guys. Just get ready. Oh, I, I know. It's all good. It's all good. But this has been a full morning. Okay. Well, I feel you. I've, I've been on this little conversation text and slacks that you've been on. So I know we're coming in with a lot. Coming in hot. <laughs> I... um. I'm excited to introduce our podcast guest because we are diving in to the book that she co-authored and it is super exciting. I'm going to hold up the book. Our listeners can't listen to this and see it, but um, this is Redeeming Heartache. Why is yours backwards and mine not? I don't know. Sorry. I I mean, why is mine backwards and yours not? Well, mine looks backwards and yours looks straight to me. Well, for those who are able to watch, you're going to see both what it looks like in the right way and in the wrong way. This is Redeeming Heartache. And on the podcast, this is not Dan Allender. You're going to hear the voice of Kathy Lorizel. And welcome to the Jesus Said Love Show. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) How are you coming into this podcast? Oh, man. I don't even know. So my dog, I have an, a, a huge 110 pound English golden retriever who's technically fat. I just like to think that he's like just cute and thick, but yeah. um, he's super anxious and mm-hmm. he mirrors me a lot. And so I, I'm like, okay, how are we doing Cooper? Yeah. <laughs> how, how am I? How, how am I? You? How am I? You're, you're real anxious. He's like right by my side all the time and he's huge and he wants to sit on my lap. So 
I think, you know, I've gotten back from being on the road and Mm -hmm. anytime I transition between that, that world out there and then coming back into my home, Mm -hmm. it's, it just takes a little bit to recenter. Mm -hmm. So I'm really glad to be here, but I can, I'm I'm still asking myself, how how am I? (laughs) Well, I, transitions are just hard. Transitions take so much courage too. You know, I just... Well, especially it's from like the road. Reacclimating right. from the it's road. It's like the road is not real world, but it, it yeah. is, but it, it is. isn't. No. And and especially in COVID. So I don't know, you know, Texas is so different, but Seattle, we're still pretty shut down. So I haven't been to an office in two years. Okay. And wow. I used to work in an office, you know, five to seven days a week because of doing conferences. And so I, you know, Texas. I was sitting in a worship service for the first time and it was packed. Mm. Every single seat was taken and we're, we're like singing. And it was the first time in two years that I'd been Mm. in a worship service. Mm -hmm. Was it weird or was it, did Mm -hmm. it feel at home? Uh, It was really weird. And I had to tap my way through it. No, I mean, I I was anxious. I was really anxious. So I sat there. I mean, I looked like a freak. I was like, I hope no one knows who I am. But turns out my face was on the bathroom stall doors. So every time anyone went to the bathroom, they saw my face. So everyone knew who I was. And here I am in their service, like tapping. Amazing. (laughs) Doing this. (laughs) It was really weird. I mean, so good. But I was like, I am in a different world. Right. The yeah. old Texas yeah. super spreader at your service. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I mean, I've already had COVID. My whole family's had COVID. Right. I'm like triple vaxxed. I'm like, I don't right. even know anymore. Yeah. Put me in the church service. Let's do this. Right. Right. I know. Um, well, I hope Texas treated you well. Yes. I hope that you had some good Texas hospitality. Oh, and it was warmth. so fun. Did they take you to eat at that little Italian restaurant down the road from the church? No, we went to a Mexican restaurant. Oh, good. You got to have good Mexican food. Yeah, we had these fajitas that came in this like with coals underneath it, keeping it warm. I was like, this is what I'm talking about. (laughs) Right. I'm here for. Oh, (laughs) yeah. It's amazing. Well, okay. So just to let you know, in preparation for this podcast, usually I create a lot of the questions and direction of where we're going. But I have to say, because we are doing Redeeming Heartache as a book club, it's actually not just Brett and I interviewing you right now. I come with four other people behind me, yes. three three couples, um, you know, six people total. And we have just been really fascinated by the work that you've done because mm-hmm. just give everyone kind of a idea of of who you are and then what this book is all about. Sure. Um, you know, my original background is in business and, um, but, uh, but I, I found myself, um, at the grad school kind of on accident, the Seattle school of theology and psychology and decided to get my master's in psychology. And, you know, again, kind of on accident, didn't, wasn't really intending to become a therapist. And indeed I don't actually see one-on-one clients. So I never really like, became a quote unquote therapist. Um, but I, I kept finding in the worlds that I was a part of this disconnect between the, like the Jesus that felt so real in scripture and God, and then this world that I was attached to in the church that was so cloistered and not wanting to talk about what was real Mm. and what was really going on in people's hearts and the kind of shadow dark sides 
of their stories. And I started to find freedom in that in college, actually through um, Sacred Romance by John oh, Eldridge. Yeah. Yeah. I, start, I started reading that and was like, this, is, this seems true to me. And so I started to run small groups out of my dorm room. Oh my gosh. That's yes. amazing. I on, know. Your own, on your own volition. Yes. Yeah, like, I got this, guys. Yeah. Like, I mean, we're, you know, we're going to dive in <laughs> to the deep waters. I've read <laughs> the book. I've mastered I the know. content. Yeah, now I, let me help you. Yes. I so yeah. I get it. I don't have to learn stuff very long before I'm like, oh, I can I can teach this. But more than anything, I really believe that we're meant to create the thing we most yeah. desire in the world. Mm. And I've really lived by that. And so I'm like, well, if mm. I want this sort of small group to happen, I'll run it. Yeah. I mean, there's a degree of arrogance in that. There's also a degree of courage that that, yeah. you know, both are counterbalanced. But um, yeah, so I started running these groups and all of a sudden all of these college girls were telling me their stories and their sexual abuse stories and things about eating disorders and depression and anxiety and all these deep places. And we started to lean into it. And then from there, I was like, you know, God, I want to be in ministry. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was told because I was a woman, I couldn't lead. Mm -hmm. That was my background. Mm -hmm. And, and I was like, what background are you from? It was like an evangelical fundamental church, you know, kind of Bible, like Bible based, quote unquote. Yeah. Um, And yeah. And so they were conservative and they were like, hey, you can lead women, you can lead kids, but, you know, we need you to kind of take a back seat. And so, and I I wanted to be faithful. And so Mm. I kind of felt so bound Mm. um, and not sure how to use my gifting. Mm. So I did it whatever way I could, you know, any, any group that would meet with me, I was like, let's meet. Um, Then I started uh, working with high school kids and doing the same thing. And that was problematic for their parents um, because (laughs) I was bringing up all this stuff and talking about things that no one else was talking about. Um, and, and in all of that, I, you know, I graduated and went into corporate and, you know, it was, I, I, I liked that world. It was interesting to me, but, um, my friend, Abby Wong Hefter, who actually, um, was one of the, the, um, original people in the Allender center came to me at one point and said, look, you're out of your calling. Mm. Um, you need, you need, you're doing this work, but you're also not exactly sure how to move people from like point A to point B you're exposing all this stuff and working with people and being present with them, but you haven't, you don't have enough experience. You don't know know how to kind of bring them to the next step. Mm -hmm. And so she said, I know about this grad school in Seattle. You, she was living in Seattle at the the time. And she was like, you know, come to Seattle and I'm going to set up an interview for you. And I was like, well, you're crazy, but I do owe you a visit. So fine. (laughs) Um, And, and at the end of it, I ended up, you know, kind of feeling this call of God that was like, you know, you don't need to know what's next, but you do need to quit <laughs> your job. Mm. So I did on the tarmac on the way back from Seattle. I called my boss at IBM and quit wow. um, and not knowing what I was going to do next and really fighting with this grad school. Cause I was like, something about this is compelling, but I also, they were a hot mess, mm. you know, a startup. Mm-hmm. No one actually knew mm-hmm. how to run the business side of it. So anyways, I ended up going, it was the last thing on the table at the end of this journey and ended up going to the Seattle school and then met Dan pretty mm-hmm. quickly. And right away when Dan started speaking, I, I had this sense of he knows something of the human heart. Mm-hmm. And when he looks into the heart of those things that we're most afraid of, he doesn't flinch. Mm-hmm. And he also is offering language and a way to explain a way forward that doesn't just keep you stuck 
in your trauma. Yeah. And it was incredibly compelling to me. Um, and, and I've been with the school now for 17 years. Amazing. In the midst of that, started the Allender Center 10 years ago with Dan and kind of said, look, you know, what you're teaching is incredible, but you, you don't have a method to it. Yeah. Yeah. So let's create the method behind it. And I thought I was just an interpreter, but as I got into it and started to do story groups myself and started to train, I realized it was actually my material too. Yeah. And, and so I think that's part of why we co-authored the book, kind of honoring the fact that he's the one who started it, but, but we've both together and with the team have really taken it into a place where it can become transferable to lots of different people. Yeah. Oh, it's so beautiful. And to say that my life has been imp- impacted by your work and by the Allender Center would just be an understatement. I mean, anyone who comes in proximity, in fact, I joke that, you know, I've never gone through your CERT program. I've never, I've done one story workshop and I have sent and referred more people your way. <laughs> well, thank like, you. <laughs> like if we had like a finder's fee, like Emily gets like a percentage <laughs> of how, it's crazy. I just I'm taking you out to dinner when I come to Waco. I tell everybody <laughs> about it because it is so transformational um, and so good. So, so this book is kind of a culmination. Like if you've read other Allender books, you know there's there's like pieces of kind of you lay out this foundation of why your story matters a little bit in the front of the book, but then you kind of go into these three archetypes and these three wounds that kind of define the archetypes, which I am just fascinated by archetypes. I just love learning from them. I think there's so many different ways to see yourself and to see, and it's just kind of, we're ever evolving, you know, we're ever seeing new angles of who we are in the world. And it's like these layers, we just never quit growing. And it's so exciting that you've offered this. So tell our audience about kind of this book, because the subtitle is How Past Suffering Reveals Our True Calling. My first question is, why didn't you put anything about archetypes on the title? Because people don't know what archetypes are. Oh, okay. I mean, not, you know, again, in our world, we do, right? But that, um, so a big thing with the book is that we wanted it to be as accessible as possible to the widest range of people. And anytime you start to put clinical language, it's also why we mm. didn't use the word trauma. We use mm. the word heartache, you know, because we wanted to really remove any barriers from people thinking, oh, this is beyond me, or this is, you know, this is too psychological. This isn't, you know, Christian, because there's always these dichotomies of like, yeah. well, you're either a Christian or you believe in neuroscience. I'm like, mm, or, you know, yeah, both. Um, and maybe people, maybe people are tired of, of the word trauma. I just read a report yes. that trauma is now like one of the most widely used words that we're so familiar with. But when we started learning about it, you know, over a decade ago, it was like, nobody was talking about trauma, but now mm-hmm. it's all like, oh, trauma, trauma. It's kind of become trivialized in a way. It has. Yeah. yeah. So I love yeah, and that I, you did, you used heartache. It's right. Beautiful. Yeah, because I think that, and that's the trick, right? Because people can dismiss the word trauma, one, because it's being overused, but two, because it's like, well, I didn't, I don't really have traditional Mm -hmm. trauma in my life. And so, you know, where we start the premise of the book is that sense of none of us have escaped harm. Mm -hmm. Nobody, because we live on the earth and we're meant for Eden. We're meant for perfect connection with God, self, others, and the earth. Mm -hmm. That's what we're created for. 
And then we kind of get flung into this world where people are doing their best, but there's a difference, obviously, between what we're meant for and what we're experiencing. And then that question of what do we do Mm. with the gap? Mm -hmm. What do we do to make up the difference or to stay safe? And and what we do in those moments where we realize what we're meant for and a subconscious level is not what we're going to experience here on earth, we protect. Yeah. And, And we create ways of being that again are brilliant. You know, mm-hmm. thank God we we can protect ourselves um, and we're not left always vulnerable. But the problem is then when you get into your adulthood, the way you protected yourself as a child from the world that you were living in mm-hmm. um, impacts your capacity to love, to be loved, to be able to be settled, to handle um, you know difficult experiences, and to really connect to God and have like an inner joy and peace um, and love and creativity that we're all meant for. And so the hope of the book is that we we help you understand both where trauma first came into your life, where heartache mm-hmm. came in, mm-hmm. what we've done with that, how we've self-protected, how that's turned into styles of relating that impact your current way of being in the world. And then how do you heal and actually move into more of who you're meant to be? Um, and I think oftentimes when we talk about trauma, the best we do is like, you know, survive or mm-hmm. manage it. Mm-hmm. There isn't a lot of imagination for what flourishing looks mm-hmm. like in mm-hmm. the face of it. Um, mm-hmm. And there, you know, and there are some roadmaps, but it's like, you know, do love yourself better or take a salt bath. And I'm like, I mean, those are great things. Sure. But it doesn't actually solve the problem. Right. Or, com- or compare it. Yes. Right. Um, you say in the very beginning of the book that sets kind of the premise is is what you've just said in some ways that no no one, of course, can escape trauma, but we can decide who we will become as we sort through the aftermath. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the reimagining or the reimagination of we get so stuck in the story or in how we see the story or in what people have told us happened to us and people have defined who we are for us. And I think what you're inviting us into is to imagine who we want to become and who God desires for us to become. Um, And it's just, it's so exciting. So how did you decide on the three wounds? So how do you want to talk about this? I'm just wondering, Brett, how do you want to talk about it? Do you want to like, do you want her to go through the three wounds and then the, or do you want to go like, So, okay. So let me say it this way. Let me, let me say it this way. Number one, we listened to the podcast a long time ago when you guys were just starting to put this, the idea of this content out. Mm -hmm. So now to read kind of where it has morphed into has been really fascinating. Um, So the way that you lay the book out is there's a wound and then there is transformation, transformational kind of the, the right. two archetypes. So for, so for every wound, there's a mirror, uh, a mirror archetype. A, yeah. Um, a redeemed. A redeemed. A redeemed. There we go. There's the word redeemed I was archetype. For. Mm-hmm. It's been a long day. Um, <laughs> already. Already. Um, so, so one of our class members, he's like, I don't like the way it's laid out. Oh yeah. And I'm like, well, you didn't write the book, so you don't get to determine how the things <laughs> laid out. But I did find his question interesting. He wanted to read the three, Wounds. wounds first and then read the redemption. Mm-hmm. Whereas I found reading the wound and the redemption together a little bit more interesting. Uh-huh. So 
why did you decide to write it where you put the wound and the redeemed piece together versus all the bad and then all the good? Yeah, that's a great. So we went back and forth on that a lot okay. with our editor and, you know, cause originally the editor, they wanted to put it the three, you know, core wounds and then how those things are healed, which is, I think how the podcast went. If I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when, so when I teach this in certificate one, um, I, I always go through the like, okay, so what are we meant for? We're meant for, so this is all based off of the, the idea of faith, hope, and love. So, so faith is what we're meant for, right? When faith is broken through betrayal, we become orphans, Hmm. right? When then we move back into redemption, we move into priest. Um, And I, I love that because I think when you talk about orphan and priest back to back, you actually gain more of an imagination of the true core wound of orphan because you start to understand what redemption looks like. Yes. And I don't, and I think we're meant to couple those because there's so often, I don't know that you would really remember the, the particularity of orphan when you would all of a sudden read five chapters later about priest. Mm-hmm. Like, I love the fact that they're, that they're together because you, you actually start to heal that orphan wound as it's exposed. Like when you read that chapter, that's one of my favorite chapters that I've, that I wrote mm. was the orphan and the priest. Um, because those are, I have a lot of orphan wounds and my priest is pretty low functioning. Mm. Um, and so to reach, to try to explain the need for priest, my orphan was soothed mm. and attuned to, and like, there was an imagination for, oh, that's what the, or- my orphan needs is mm-hmm. care and ritual and, um, imagination and someone helping me tell the story. Right. So yes. I think that's the, what we wanted to do with the book was actually tend to those nerve endings mm-hmm. when, as they're being exposed right. versus expose all the nerve endings right. and then try to bring a bomb to it. <laughs> yeah. Because some of us might not even make it through the end of the book. Right. I mean, that's, that's really how, um, particular and, you know, intricate you expose mm-hmm. in the book, even in the writing and with the certain stories that you share. I just, I don't know that our heart, it would take us a lot longer to process that if it yeah. was like orphan, um, stranger and widow all back to back. It'd be mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't know what I am. I don't know if this is me. It's all of it, you know? Um, and it is all of it. So that's another thought is that let's just go ahead and quickly describe each of these. Um, if you want to, Brett, just like the book does, let's take the first, let's take the orphan and the priest and let's go into who is, what does an orphan wound look like? Mm-hmm. And then what does the redemption of that orphan wound look like in the priest? Yeah. So um, really the core wound of an orphan is somewhere along the way, probably qu- pretty quickly, they learn that no one is coming. They are on their own. And whether or not that's emotionally, that's actually physical neglect, um, th- we are born needing attunement and connection with our caregivers right away. Our first instinct, right? When, as soon as we got the womb is to, for most babies, it's to cry. Mm-hmm. Our, our instinct is I can feel all my feelings and someone will be there to soothe me. 
to comfort me, to clothe me, to take care of these, these needs. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but there's, you know, there's fascinating research around orphanages and places where babies are, are left and are not attended to mm-hmm. very quickly. They stop crying. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we, we attune very quickly to how much our caregivers are able to care for us what's Mm -hmm. available to us and we adjust. And so a baby who is well cared for will continue to cry when they're Mm -hmm. hungry, when they're cold, because their expectation is that someone is coming. Mm -hmm. An orphan wound is that sense that I cried and no one's there. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to go, I'm going to reduce my need and I'm going to learn to tend to myself. Mm -hmm. Mm Do orphans who, do you think as we talk about these, I'm just wondering, is there a primary wound for each of us that we, that helps us identify with this most with one, uh, you know, orphan stranger or widow the most, like, would Mm -hmm. you say that there's kind of a primary wounding that if we can get to that reveals kind of what our basic need is? I think so. Um, you know, for me, orphan is a lot. So when, you know, when I wrote the orphan chapter, I was like, oh gosh, let's figure out which story to use. Not yeah. if I have stories. Right. Right. But there's a reason why Dan wrote the stranger section, mm-hmm. the stranger and prophet. And I wrote the orphan and priest. Right. Yeah. Um, because I, my wounds are much more on that. And it's also how I relate to the world. So I'm going to be a pull up your bootstraps, figure out how to just do it all. And, and get it done. And it's actually harder for me to open myself up to the vulnerability of needing other people mm-hmm. because I'm actually more comfortable doing it myself. I can then also have contempt for all the people who didn't actually show up for me and feel really good about it. Oh yeah. Enneagram. He's holding up eight fingers. Are you an oh. Enneagram eight? Oh my gosh. You know what? I am the Are beloved three? three. Okay. Damn it. But let me tell you, when I take the test, I am like three... And eight. So I don't mm-hmm. even know how, mm-hmm. how that works. Laurie writes a little bit about in the in the back of the book about yes. overlaying. And I, I do think that's why these, whether it's Myers-Briggs or Strengths Finders or any of the myriad of skill disc, mm-hmm. I mean, you can lay over all of these kind Absolutely. of different tools to kind and, of help you name your story. Mm-hmm. And we're all all of it. I get that. But like yes. just even hearing you just so I have resolved when I read Orphan, I'm like, oh. I'm an orphan. Yeah, I get it. I got stories. Then we got to the stranger. I'm like, oh my God, I'm so the stranger. Like, that's like, I've got more stories as stranger. Right. So my, I guess my question is, is it, is it most helpful to land on one in order to move through the most healing? Mm-hmm. Or is it to just identify, acknowledge, and accept in each space. Does it make sense? Mm-hmm. In each archetype of what you are. Yeah. So we, when, when we have people go through their stories, right. You know, the hope of this book is that it will just spark connections. Um, and so they'll start to read their own story into these archetypes to, to give them just some handholds to help them get up this mountain of healing, you know, and however you can use it is 
is fantastic. I always go for which story feels the most at the surface. Mm -hmm. And so when you're reading the book and you're looking at orphan, then you're looking at your stranger and you're looking at your widow, which story keeps on coming up for you that feels haunting? Because what I often find is that people do this work, like the thing you're meant to do first is the thing that's on the surface. And then as you deal with that, more than opens up underneath you and underneath that, underneath that. So I'm still doing this work and I've been doing this work for, you know, 17 years. And that's, you. and if if you don't count the work that I was doing in college, right? Yeah. So, and there are still stories. I mean, I was just, um, over Christmas, our whole family got COVID. Um, I had already gotten COVID in the fall. So I was the only person in the family who was healthy. Thank God Mm -hmm. one of us was. Mm -hmm. So my two boys um, had, you know, one of them had pretty severe case. And then my husband was sick as a dog. Um, We, it also snowed, which doesn't do in Seattle. And it dropped to like, you know, negative 17 degrees or something ridiculous Mm -hmm. in Seattle. Mm -hmm. So our pipes froze, our chickens Mm -hmm. were dying. Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. everyone is, and I am the, the only person left to handle it. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> boss up, right? Yeah, yeah. And and um, and so I think anyway, I won't, I won't necessarily go into detail, but it was a little scary because right. I was like, okay, I am made for this. Let's do it. I mean, I'm like literally holding up water, warm water, to the chickens in yeah. their coop, like nursing them yeah. back to health. I'm changing pipes, and I'm like, we're gonna, we're gonna do this, like, and I'm yeah. gonna be awesome at it. And not only am I gonna do it great, but it's gonna be better than what I normally do. So I'm like keeping the house extra clean. I mean, it is neurotic what right. happens to me. Right. At, I mean, it's it, you know, yeah. how, I'm watching myself and going, okay, I know that I've had more healing than this. What is going on? Um, you know, but it was also one of those moments where those categories were so helpful for me, even now. Yeah. Because all of a sudden I was like, why do I feel so calm? Oh, right. Yeah. You were it, tapping into something so primal. So primal. And like, again, so it's like hardwired. So grateful that it's there, right? Because yeah. we needed to keep things alive, literally. Um, it, and it was tapping into the sense of, I actually felt calmer when I knew it was just mm. up to me. When I knew that there was no one coming, I couldn't even get groceries delivered. I was like bringing a sled to the grocery store, you know, with like my, and I mean, it was just, it was bananas. And I was like, okay, so my orphan is alive and well, and she's like happy as a clam because she all of a sudden is very clear about her job right now and she can do it. And she's like, perfect. My widow was like looking at my husband, you know, laying in bed being like, "Um, I'm going to, you know, you're going to get the best care. (laughs) Right. I mean, it was the ultimate F you to him, it, you know, which is so dark and awful, oh, you know, yeah. but it's true, you know, cause I was like, yeah. you know, I had COVID before and you didn't do this good of a job when you were right. taking care of the house. Like You're I'm going to show yeah. you. Yeah. And when he, and when he did reemerge my widow, which, you know, we'll get into in a second, but the, what the widow does is isolates and says, mm-hmm. look, you know, it's too dangerous to actually You're be vulnerable. Your You're Yeah. And so she, she just kind of, you know, and she's an ice queen. Like my widow is so icy. And so my poor husband like crawls back to health and, and all of a sudden he meets this woman who's like, I don't actually need you. I was better off without you. Like, look how clear. all Right. right. And he's like, okay, girl, like, wow. You know, and he's read that he knows all the stuff. So he's like, your orphan and widow are a real pill right now. So let's figure out how to to tend to those things. Right. 
But what happened was that even in the midst of those things that were coming up, I had enough self-awareness to go, oh, I'm really scared. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really alone. I feel very vulnerable. And my protection is to elevate all of these places that I needed and learned when I was young to protect me in this moment. And in that moment, like it wouldn't have been helpful for me to have contempt for the orphan or the widow. Mm. But what was helpful was to recognize I, it's, I am in kind of a dark spot based on mm. a lot of core wounds and I need to be really kind, really mm. gentle. And thank God I have a husband who knows those parts of me who could also kind of come back in gingerly mm. and be like, hey, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. I know you had to be, and that was scary and you're revved up, but like, take some space. Mm-hmm. Let's take it down a notch. <laughs> like, what do you need? You know, but again, all of that is, is so much more um, helpful when you actually know what you're dealing with. All yeah. of that could just be seen as normal for right. anyone who hasn't done any work. Exactly. And then they're in conflict with their husband for the next two months and exactly. at war with their own hearts. Yes. Oh, God, that's so good. And so some of the primary hallmarks, and we're, we're going to move on and move pretty quickly, but the hallmarks of the orphan are mm-hmm. the orphan's control, hypervigilance, and the shame. Yep. And so I think those were really helpful as mm-hmm. far as handles around, do I have these traits? Do I yes. have these behaviors yeah. that I'm kind of living into this orphaned identity. Um, so what does the orphan in a redeemed way, if an orphan can heal, if an orphan, what does it take for him or her to heal that, that wound? Mm-hmm. And let's just also say right from the front, these are not linear steps, right? That's right. Okay. So just want to say that if you're listening, because you know, it's, it's a circle. It's which, Mm -hmm. and I even think you noted it on Mm -hmm. the book, these kind of intersectional, is that what that is? We Mm -hmm. wondered in the book group. Okay. Yeah. These beautiful intersections. It's called a mandala. Mm -hmm. I love it. Okay. Wow. Yeah. It's a very feminine energy, right? Uh It's, it's not, like you said, it's not linear. And so many people want to make it like step one, step two, step three. Right. And and it just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. So even for me, you know, in that moment over Christmas, I'm still doing the work. Yeah. And, but so the, the redeemed orphan, the orphan really needs attunement. And what attunement is, is the capacity for someone else or, or parts of yourself to recognize need mm-hmm. and vulnerability and, and the fact that you actually have, like, you need other people to see your face, to read your story mm-hmm. and, and an orphan is in so much trauma or denial of their story because it's oh my gosh. painful, right? Hundred percent. So an orphan's like, you know, super sorry, not going to talk about it because I gotta, I gotta get some stuff done here. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, you know, that's where the control and the hypervigilance comes in. Um, but they're also not able to rest because rest mm-hmm. comes when you feel safe. Yep. And an orphan never feels safe. And so what attunement brings is a degree of safety. And a sense of rest, like someone sees me and I can let my guard down Mm. and trust that there there can be care for me. There can be goodness for me. So the priest Mm. is the archetype that offers that. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, for me, I've needed lots of priests in my life 
you know, mm-hmm. like we were talking about Heather Stringer and different oh, yeah. people, Rachel um, Clinton Chen, people who are have that high priest category that can come back and read you your own story back to you and say, you know, this is who you are, mm-hmm. right? Like I write about this in the book. There's a moment where I am, I'm um, kind of undone and functioning out of all of my orphan widow stranger places. And Rachel ha- comes into my office and says, you know, hey, um, like, you're, you're not okay, mm. and this is not who you are. Let me remind you of who you are, mm. and, I, and you need your story brought back to you. Well, for an orphan, their, their control mechanism is to keep their space and, only, and fragment their story. You only yes. kind of pick pieces, right? Because the whole is too overwhelming. It's too A hard. priest can bring the whole of your story and defragment with you, and that's external, so that's like other relationships that are more priestly, but that's also what our inside parts need. So yeah. my orphan not only needs other relationships that are priestly, it also needs my internal priest mm. to start to rise up and help me remember who I am and help me um, go back into these stories and have enough courage to say like, you, you need to defragment mm. and you also need to, to be able to rest. Um, I want to just speak to places and spaces that have can offer that priestly gift without even they're not even called, you know, priestly mm-hmm. places, but I think for a lot of people who grew up in an alcoholic home, the space and care that you get at Al-Anon mm-hmm. um for adults, you know, children of alcoholics and drug users or AA itself in its own structure, it's almost like this collective priest because you're going around naming stories and then you are asked to share yours each week, kind of little by little, it becomes this hour of care Mm -hmm. and attunement where no one's fixing you, no one's controlling you. You just kind of can take a deep breath and like, settle down. It's been one of the most beautiful places in my life that when I think about my orphan places before I even stepped into doing story work, it was, oh, I've been... The reason I'm able to go into this deep dive with story work is because I've been attuned to for two years before, you know, it just Mm -hmm. helped me let my guard down a little bit. So I love, I love the, I love the priest and what you talk about. Um, and just remembering, inviting those rituals, which is what care groups often use are rituals to yep. go through that hour or that process. And then a priest reorienting the heart. You mm-hmm. also talk about a reorientation of the heart. What does that mean? And what, is, what does that look like? What does a priest do to reorient? I think that's you know what Rachel did with me in my office was a sense of, of mirroring me back to myself and saying, you know, look, where the current trajectory that you're on mm. is not actually the, the, the best part of you, the, the trajectory that you're meant to be on. So how do we turn back or turn towards? Like it's, I think re- reorientation is, is a lot like what I think biblical repentance looks like. Because mm. it's not just, oh my gosh, you know, I'm such a bad person. I want forgiveness. It's a mm-hmm. sense of I'm, I'm turning in the wrong direction. My heart needs to turn back towards who I truly am, who God is, who the people in my life are, and be able to kind of move back into alignment. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that's what reorientation does. And the priest brings us th- that through reminding us of our stories. Because when, when we see our stories in fragmented ways, it's very difficult for us to understand what really happened to us. Mm-hmm. So there's disintegration, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but when we start to see the fullness of the story, we start to understand why we do what we do, mm. why we feel what we feel. You know, our bodies carry the truth of our story all the time, mm-hmm. but our brain has separated what the body knows from what we've made meaning or making out of in our in our brains, mm-hmm. right? So this is your left and right hemisphere. Mm-hmm. And, and so part of the work is bringing those things back in, you know, so, so many people who have stories that they have fragmented from, um, or are disoriented in, Mm -hmm. um, actually their bodies know. So you find a lot of people with anxiety, with gut issues, with Mm -hmm. autoimmune disorders, like Mm -hmm. there's all of this science and data that shows your body Mm -hmm. actually knows what's true. Mm -hmm. So our work is then being able to, to reconnect those things so that we can actually rest and be back in alignment. Mm. Mm. So good. Oh my gosh. I could ask just a million questions. Um, Brett, do you have anything before we move on? Because I well, wanna, yeah, I know. I I'm just sitting to... here going, "This is going to take forever." This is not. <laughs> it's a two part. This it's is going to be a three parter. Oh my gosh! So, no, I love. There's I love just what so you much say. content. I love what you say here when you say attunement slows an orphan down and invites him to open his heart to the possibility that one who knows him well may not betray him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, I, I, I just think that's huge. You know, mm-hmm. as an eight. That's a big deal for me is betrayal. I actually had a a meeting earlier today with a potential board member and and he asked me what my biggest fear was. And I said, Y'all taking over? Yeah. <laughs> right. My biggest fear is a coup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because this is our life's work and you could take that from us. Yep. That's giving you a lot of power. Yep. Um, yep. but I need to give you that power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the hard part is, is that just because we're healed in these areas doesn't necessarily mean that those things don't happen. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think that's the, the, the part of like, you know, there are plenty of people that I've trusted in my life that, that I've, I was like, they're not, there won't be betrayal here. And I've allowed my heart to rest. And then there was. Yeah. So then I think part of the hope is that healing and understanding our orphan gives us more capacity in those moments Mm -hmm. to not turn on ourselves, to not necessarily turn on God, to figure out how to heal and recover from those things more quickly or, or without um, causing more damage. Right. Oh, so good. Because we, if we are, if we are hypervigilant, if we're functioning out of our wound, then, and, and even if we don't know it, it's always this setup between I'm the victim and you're the offender. Yep. And we just keep living into that. And then which, if we're always the victim, then we go into self-sabotaging behaviors because we're Mm -hmm. trying to like soothe. And so it's just a beautiful invitation to see really clearly, you know, this, this book is just a tiptoe in the shallow water. Mm -hmm. It really, it really, I mean, it's, for some who might read it, it may feel like you've been plunged into the deep end though. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know? 
Like some people are going to read this and feel like, whoa, this is the deepest work I've ever done. But I will it really say is this. A start. I will say this is I have read this. I've had so many things become so clear, just like in my own in my own work. Mm-hmm. But I think it it is a it is a good, uh, manageable, palatable amount of information to make you go, oh, oh, oh. Mm-hmm. That's why I do that. Yeah. You know, I am one grandiose son of a bitch sometimes. Right. And <laughs> and it, it's not because I'm trying to show out. Right. It's, I don't feel comfortable here. Yes. Oh, yeah. well, who would have ever <laughs> connected those dots? You right. know? Yeah. Not me. Right. Well, and, and that control actually soothes you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So moving into stranger mm-hmm. and disruption of environments. Talk a little bit about this archetype. Yeah. So the, the stranger is a lot of fun. Um, this, the stranger is, is the part um, of ourselves and the person who feels and sees everything that is true about the world. And so the stranger sees where there's injustice, where, um, you know, your family is off. Like the stranger is the one who, you know, when your parents are fighting in the car and you're watching all of this happen, um, and then they're like, okay, we're, we're on our way to church. And when we get to church, everyone pulled together and we're going to all get out and we're going to smile. And then dad's going to go and shake hands because he's a deacon and mom's going to go lead worship. Um, you know, even though they, there was just like almost the equivalent of domestic violence within the car mm-hmm. 10 minutes mm-hmm. prior. The stranger is the one who's like, Mm-mm. no, I'm not doing it. Not doing no, it. Not playing and, and they expose, they rebel, um, yeah. they, they're pissed. Um, but they're actually heartbroken because they see what should be. Yeah. So they're the ones who are the dreamers, the ones who understand, um, you know, the, the radical imagination of the gospel mm-hmm. and are furious that we haven't been able to do anything about it. So they've been rendered powerless to change their families, to change the structures. And so they go to dark places quickly because they're actually the empaths. They're the ones who feel it all, um, but then don't have, don't have a way to actually impact the world. And so, you know, they'll, you, they'll rebel, but, but often when you're in a family and you realize how come I'm the only one who sees this? How come I'm the only one who's speaking out about this or who isn't willing to play the game on Mm -hmm. Christmas, you know, to make sure that everyone's happy and feeling like we have a great family? Well, they get kicked out. They get shamed. They get told like, you're so dramatic. Why can't you just be like your older sister? Mm -hmm. You know, you're sensitive. You're asking too too many questions. Why do you always bring these things up? Yep. Yep. Why do you want to go serve in that way? Yes. Whatever. Yep. Yeah. So you have deep wounds because people have told you that your greatest asset, your greatest gift is actually a threat. Yeah. And it's a threat to the system. And we just need you to shut the F up. Yeah. I think this, this chapter, I mean, I definitely have orphan wounding, but I, I just like every page is underlined of like, what? Wow. (laughs) Wow. Wow. I think yeah, I think there's even expletives there are in my uh, <laughs> notes of like WTF, you know, how many effing times has this happened to me? Mm-hmm. Um, so the beautiful thing that I think is not that I haven't known and felt the stranger, but again, the 
and and either strangers become often estranged, which is what you led to. You know, mm-hmm. the, the stranger in the family or the stranger in the church often becomes estranged from the system that they couldn't play along with eventually. Right. And I think that I think that for me when I read this, there was so much kindness for myself that was awakened in my mm-hmm. heart toward my own desire. Yes. Like I think that because of how I grew up as a woman in the evangelical culture in the South, there was so much politeness like slathered Mm -hmm. on my desire. Yep. And and I thought my desires were really bad because I was told they were bad over and over and over again. That what I wanted was either impossible or what I wanted was just terrible. Like, mm-hmm. how could you want, who do you think you are? Like, yeah. I can't tell you how many times the, who do you think you are? Yeah. You know, came up as a narrative. Absolutely. Um, so talk about stranger and, and the desires, mm-hmm. that desire component to yeah. the stranger. You know, the, some of the, the best, most delightful stories I've worked with are the freedom that a stranger can get when, when they recognize that they actually were prophets the whole time. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that allows a stranger to release themselves from that sense of I'm disruptive, I'm bad, I'm seeing too much, I'm asking too much, all of these kind of things that are placed on you are actually shifted to like, no, you are the truth teller. Mm. You are the one who is actually dreaming on behalf of your family in the most gospel centered way that was, that was available, right? You Mm -hmm. actually have an imagination and that sparks such deep desire, right? You, you're the, you're the one who wants the world to actually wake up, Mm -hmm. wake up, but you're also, your heart is so alive, but when you're told to deaden it over and over again, you're in such a deep war Yeah, because you either deaden your desire and then belong. Yeah. Right. Or you get kicked out because it's too much and too big and then you're alone. Yeah. And, and I think when a stranger starts to recognize one, you know, they can be difficult. Like mm-hmm. when you see everything and hear everything, you know, you, you're meant to be a prophet, but prophets have to be really careful around mm-hmm. how they're actually speaking truth. It has right. to be in love and community. And it is easier to critique than it is to create. Yeah. And so prophets are always on that edge of mm-hmm. like, I have to be involved and I can't just hold, like pull the grenade and throw it in and then walk away. That's not actually a responsible use of your passion, of your desire. Mm -hmm. But then how does a prophet, a stranger stay in the agony of their disappointment without turning on themselves Mm -hmm. or the rest of the world? Mm. And that's, mm. that's the thing that the stranger has to lean into. And so a stranger has to be so dedicated to like beauty and, yeah. and goodness and like passion and art and mm-hmm. music. And, you know, mm-hmm. like that you have to be the one who, who is like remembering that the world is worth the agony right. or else you will, t- you will go into addiction, self-sabotage, yeah. you know, places of, of just a lot of darkness because yeah. it's too much to bear. Yeah. Um, so strangers, again, when strangers get released, oh my gosh, they're so powerful and so grateful that all the names mm. that they've borne all these years aren't actually true. Yeah. 
And envy is the other thread of that, that desire and that war with hope and that war with like, do I create or do I numb, you know, Mm -hmm. do I keep hoping when I know it's going to cost me to speak out here or do I move anyway toward it? Mm -hmm. Um, And then sometimes when we move toward it, there is this intersection, I think with envy and because the attraction to beauty and a world reimagined is so like exciting, Mm -hmm. then when we do begin to create the cost feels like, yeah, to, to be envied is to bear someone's complete hatred. Absolutely. Yeah. Often with, with these things, especially as you grow more into priest, more into prophet, and then, you know, I don't know if we'll have time to get into it today, but into widow or into queen and king, um, when people see life and, and goodness, we do one of two things often. One, we want to consume it, figure out how, how like to, to bring that into me. So like, you know, they see your Mm -hmm. life, your capacity to create. It's like, how do I jump on that to, Mm -hmm. to, to connect me to a life force that's Mm -hmm. outside myself. So you want to consume the energy. Now, when they realize you can't consume it or you put up boundaries to say, I don't really want to be consumed. Often they'll go to marring. Yeah your beauty, marring your gifting, you know, and so you either want to consume it, you want to kill it. Ooh. Yeah. And yeah. Right. And that's where envy comes in both ways. Both ways. Mm -hmm. That's the truth. If you've been envied, then you're also prone to envy. Absolutely. I mean, there's just no other way around it. Okay. I do, I do want to move because this, we've talked about orphan. We've talked about priest. We've talked about the stranger and then the prophet. We're not going to have time, but let's to fully talk through prophet, but Mm -hmm. you've given us some, some guardrails here. You're just going to have to buy the book people. Like that's the bottom line is you're going to need to just quickly go get this. I would say if there's, if there's no other book that you read in 2022, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, this is the one you need to read. Wow. Do it. That is such a huge no, compliment. No, I'm serious. I'm like, listen, just listen. listen. All of these were just listen for a minute. Last year, I made an effort to uh, to read more. You know, because leaders need to read more. Readers are leaders. and so I bought I bought a crap ton of books. Now, ask me how many of those I've read in 2021. <laughs> Not a damn one. Oh, not one. <laughs> not even one. I was giving you the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> because I found them on Audible. And it's an ongoing argument me and Emily have. I'm, I'm cool. Do I don't you, have to argue. Do no. you fully or you, have you like read it, the but... book if you've listened to the book? And I'm of the opinion that if you've listened to it, you've read it and it's interchangeable or whatever. It's fine. Yep. I've brought her to the dark side and that's great. <laughs> but but I'm I'm reading this other thing called Atomic Habits. It's like just do things for two minutes. Just do things for two minutes. And then you keep going from there and build it, build a habit. So my, my goal for this year is to read for two minutes, whatever. Um, but my point in all of that is if you're like me and you don't read anything, just read this book for two minutes a day. Mm-hmm. And it will, if you don't read anything else, and not kidding, it will change everything. I think part of why it's so relevant is because like you just mentioned, Kathy, a lot of these archetypes and a lot of these wounds were exposed in the pandemic mm-hmm. and are still being exposed in what we're living out. Yes. And so if you find yourself kind of not being able 
to, to find your feet and to really ground into like, how, how do I experience peace in the midst of what everything feels like it's been, you know, a rug pulled out from under the world, you really, you can see clear you, mm-hmm. this will help you put on some new glasses, yeah, I think. Absolutely. And start well, we see. have, we have a wonderful opportunity. This is so painful, but we, all of our nerve endings are exposed right now. Like we're, uh, the, our old ways of being aren't working. There's no going back. Um, we have new collective wounds. And so, you know, and there is an opportunity in all of that where, where we're seeing more of our patterns play out live. And many of us are saying, well, gosh, I don't actually want to become an alcoholic. I don't actually want to live with anxiety every day. I don't actually want to, you know, feel overloaded with my kids or get divorced, you know, they're, we're, or work we're kind of, my fingers to the bone for right. a company that's not rewarding me. Absolutely. I, done. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, the, the, the numbers are staggering. And mm-hmm. so this is one of those moments where the cement is wet. Yeah. And so what are you going to, it'll dry again, right? It'll dry. We're going to go, we're going to go to something and then we're going to concretize it and it's going to become a thing, it, but we're not there yet. And so in this moment, will you take this opportunity where we actually have a chance to, to reassess, to rethink where, where it are, are, there's a neuroplasticity, I think right now Mm. that, that we don't fully understand. And so you have a chance to actually become more healed, have a capacity to have more joy, more play, more delight, more capacity to grieve. Mm. All of that is actually possible right now, but we have to actually do the work. Oh, so true. As the widow does her work, she is at this war with love. Mm-hmm. And talk about her losses. Because I think when I first read this, I thought, oh, it has to be a divorce or it has to be mm-hmm. a death of a spouse. And what you uncover in there is so much deeper and truer. Yeah. Um, I think the widow is... Um, has known something of goodness, of mutuality, of connection, and realizes that death is inevitable. Mm. And then the the widow has to choose, um, will I love again and connect again, even though I now understand that loss will be there to some degree or another. Um, you know, even uh, what you're talking about with the with the board member, right? Like the idea that you've created something beautiful, you you love it, and there will be loss and betrayal, and it will change. Nothing that you've created or loved on this earth will stay the same, and there will be either big deaths or little deaths in all of them. And the widow has experienced enough of that where she's like, Mm-mm, "I'm done. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll isolate. You know, I may participate, but you won't get to my heart." And, and I won't actually give myself in that way. Um, and I think that's, that's incredibly important to understand. And then her transition mm-hmm. or his transition is then to king and queen where you can, um, you can move into that place where your job is to actually create yeah. and to risk and to hold the whole um, and be able to, to bring flourishing to the kingdom through making difficult decisions, through bearing death, through bearing grief. Um, but you're actually inviting everyone to kind of come back into an alignment um, that is met. Um, but only if the widow decides that that he or she can can risk and love again, knowing that they can bear the loss. And so the capacity for rupture and repair, mm-hmm. the idea that, I know, um, 
the idea that we um, can move into um, loss and and um, heartache, but then there's actually something on the other side of it and that repair can take place, not necessarily everything going back to the way it was, but it can, it can move further um, into, mm-hmm. into what it could be in this next season. And in some ways, do you feel, it seems like you were saying this and I can't find it where I've got it, but that the queen or king holds kind of has tended to these, the spaces of the orphan and the stranger. And it's kind of this calm, culmination mm-hmm. role or yep. of transformation. Yeah. Do, you, do these stages, do we see these stages happening at different parts of our lives? Can we I think so. Of- yeah. I mean, I think, you know, as you said, it's not linear and I think you can see different parts happen at different times. Like right now in my own career, I was, you know, the past 17 years I've been in that King queen role pretty right. heavily and now I'm more into the priest prophet section because of of shifts that have happened in my life, and so I think I think we can see um, our our hearts kind of working out um, what's needed and and also what's being overused, mm-hmm. right? And so mm-hmm. you know, for me, the queen kind of got overused after a while, mm-hmm. um, and she needs a break um, to yeah. recover, and that priestly. Um, uh, aspect of of holding the story needs to kind of come back in, but but that role of queen king is really the one that serves the role of the priest and the prophet, and allows mm-hmm. there to be spaces and structures for them to do their work with the people, um, mm-hmm. without the weight of needing to kind of do the yes and no decisions, the weight of of the the moments of um, where there's going to be heartache or difficult decisions being made. Um, they need to be at the table, but the role of the king and queen is really the one who holds um, some of the most difficult spaces within organizations and within your own heart where you know mm-hmm. you have to land mm-hmm. and make a call. Yeah. Is there is there one better than the other? <laughs> no. No. I don't think so. Um, I love them okay. And real quick, I, I do have to ask this. Is it important to... For instance, if you're identifying with profit, but you don't really identify with stranger, mm-hmm. what's that gap about? Like if you're identifying, it's like an as, eight wing three. It's impossible. <laughs> There's no, There's such, no thing. such thing. So if you're if you're identifying as like queen, this is how I function. But you read widow, and and you're like, I don't know. Yeah, I think I think that just start with whatever you're identifying with. Okay. And and just move into those spaces, take whatever is in front of you and then just trust that the process will move you as you're meant to to move. Yeah. And that it doesn't have to be um it it doesn't um it doesn't have to be quick. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. Okay, we have talked your ear off. We could go so much longer, but so I know fun. you have a meeting. We have a meeting too. Yeah. And we got lost. I got lost yep. in the time. So I'm really, really grateful um, for your participation and for your, this beautiful work that you've offered the world. Thank, Thank you, you, Kathy. Go yes, by. you're so go welcome. Thank you guys okay. for having me. What a hope privilege. To connect, hope to connect with you soon. Um, yeah. In Waco, maybe you can come come to Texas again. Would love it. Okay. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.